You're listening to The Uncommon Podcast, where we celebrate the stories of men and women who are living uncommon lives. These individuals pursue excellence and purpose in their relationships and work. They optimize their health and stewardship, and they embody victorious vision and fervent faith. Be inspired and encouraged to follow your own uncommon path and live a life of authenticity, accountability, and adventure. Welcome to The Uncommon Podcast. I'm your host, Ryan. I've got a shorter episode for you guys today. This past weekend, I had the privilege of attending my church's first ever men's retreat, and it was a wonderful weekend filled with fun and fellowship, preaching from God's word, of course, and a break from life's demands and routines to really press into God and get clear on what he's calling each of us to do as men. So I really just wanted to share kind of a quick overview of what we did and some reflections from it and even some encouragement on how you can maybe step into more community yourself and even start community. The focus of the weekend at our retreat was threefold. So we talked about biblical manhood, community, and then mission. And we had a great pastor from Cedar Rapids come in. His name is Jake Each. He challenged us with God's word, spurred us on to pursuing authenticity and leadership in our faith journeys. Yeah, give you some background. I've been at Cottage Grove Church since its inception, which I believe is back in 2016, right around there. And the tr- so the church is about seven years old, and we've never had a men's retreat before. And you know, I, I may have had thoughts about it from time to time, but I didn't ever take any action. Maybe I had some conversations with guys here and there, but uh, yeah, it just never happened until this year. And it really just took two men from our church, shout out Madison and Mark, to approach the staff and ask if they could plan and lead a weekend retreat for our men and. Thankfully, we have awesome elders and staff, and they were all about it and even helped. So, yeah, back in July, when I heard that we were having a men's retreat, I was super excited and just thought, like, yeah, it's about time. Like, why haven't we done this until now? And so I I knew Madison and reached out to him and just told him that I was, I was super pumped that he had taken the lead on this, and I was happy to help in any way if needed. And so he invited me to join their planning team, which was just me, him, and Mark initially, and so after that first meeting, I I volunteered to help plan the games and activities, and we had that first meeting back in August, which seems like a long time ago. And since the retreat was on a Friday evening and Saturday, so I was responsible for planning a fun activity for both days. And as we continued to meet and plan over the summer, we determined that the men would be assigned small groups, um, that they we would have some small group discussion after the the messages and we would also use those groups for the games and competitions so yeah that just made sense so what I came up with for Friday evening and that was after just the opening welcome as a fun icebreaker I had the men play an epic game of rock paper scissors so how how it worked you're familiar with rock paper scissors that's been played since the dawn of time so the entire group would start in one verse one battles best of three So whichever guy lost would then become the ultimate hype man for the guy who beat him. So those two were now on a team and would find another two guys to battle. So the two winners would battle while their two hype men would just cheer and go crazy, see who could 
be the loudest. And so whoever lost that match, those two would then join the other two. So now it's a group of four, and that foursome has to go battle against another foursome. So now it's one guy with three hype men. So you can imagine it got pretty crazy pretty quickly. The game continued in this fashion until only two huge groups were left, each screaming their brains out, cheering for their champion. It was loud and hysterical. Awesome way to kick off the weekend. And when the final champion remained, I brought him up on stage and awarded him with his medal and declared that he rocked, he was the sheet, and he was a cut above the rest. If you get those jokes. So Friday evening after our, our message and small group session, we ended with some free time. And the church that hosted us had a full gym. So the guys just played basketball. There was an epic game of knockout. Guys were able to just talk and socialize. So that was a that was it for, for Friday. So then that it wasn't an overnight thing, so everybody went home. Tried to get some R&R and then came back Saturday morning. And we had an hour or so between our morning small group session and lunch for group games. And so we had 12 groups and I planned six mini games. If you've seen these mini game battles on like TikTok or YouTube. So the idea was to have two groups go to each mini game and compete. And one thing that was a challenge was to figure out was where to have the different stations for each game. As well as what the transitional time for the groups to go from one game to the next. And I actually couldn't sleep very well Friday night because I hadn't yet figured out how to pull this off um, for the next day's game. So I was a little anxious about it and uh, that it was going to be unclear and disorganized and the guys would kind of be standing around and then not enjoy it as much. But thankfully, I was able to spend some time Saturday morning during our first session to plan where each game would be. I uh, had the help of a couple of the other guys just to set up. And and the main challenge was just going to be allowing enough time for each game since each game, you know, didn't take the same amount of time. So choosing when to have all the groups transition so people weren't standing around, that really was just a matter of me kind of walking around and observing and seeing like, okay, this group's done, this group's done, this group's still going, we'll give them another minute. But the games we played were pretty fun. I'll give you a brief rundown. So we played Ping Pong Bounce Challenge. Players must bounce their ball on and off the table in increasing bounces. So first round, everybody has to get it off in one. Pretty easy. Second round, two bounces. Pretty easy. Then you get into three, four, five until one player remains. So if if you're on bounce five and it takes you more or you just mess up, then you're eliminated. So that just goes until the last person is left. We also did a tablecloth challenge. So if you've ever wanted to walk into a really nice restaurant, just grab the tablecloth on a table and just yank it and see see what happens. Yeah, your dream would have come true if you would have come to this retreat. So that's what we did. Men had to pull a tablecloth with a pyramid of 15 solo cups on it. Whoever knocks over the least amount of cups wins. We actually had a couple teams pull the cloth and have all like their entire pyramid left. It was uh, a small miracle. So... <laughs> that was that was a fun one. We played quarter between the knees. It was a race, so you take pick up a quarter, put it between your knees, and then you'd have to like wiggle or jump or however you got down 20, 30 feet and drop it into a cup. So it was like a relay challenge. And the team wins when the number of quarters were dropped into the next cup. That was that one was funny just seeing guys like <laughs> just jumping and, and wiggling, trying to figure out how to do it. We also had balloon knockdown, so each player had a balloon. They had to keep their balloon in the air while trying to knock their opponent's balloons to the ground. Players were eliminated if their balloon hit the floor. Last man left one. And we played a 
toilet paper wind-up challenge. That one was pretty fun. Players had a toilet paper roll extended to the end of a table, and then they had a plastic wine glass filled to the brim with water. That wine glass sat on the actual uh, toilet paper, so they had to roll their toilet paper up without spilling the water because the water would then soak the paper and it would tear and they'd have to start over. So that was that was a fun race. We did a balloon relay race. So in pairs of two, um, they had to hit their balloon through a course um, to the checkpoint where their next two teammates were waiting and then they had to pass the balloon off to them. They had to hit it down to the end to the next two and then they had to come back. So that was a fun relay race. And so all of that, honestly, I mean, those games took like three to five minutes max. And each each group got to play all of them. We didn't really have points or prizes for this. I think this first year we really just wanted to make sure it was simple but fun. And I think we nailed that. But I did have a bonus surprise game, which was water balloon roulette. So we actually all all went outside and I did fail to mention there were like 60 plus guys at this retreat. So it was pretty encouraging for our first go around, but we all went outside and really just had eight guys compete in this game. And we had kind of the, each group of each of the two groups kind of pick like their guy that they wanted to do this. If that math checks out, but uh, players would come stand around a bowl of water balloons and then, uh, someone would spin a spinner on a wheel and it would select the number. So let's say out of eight guys, you're number four. If it lands on you, you then grab a balloon as quickly as you can while the other guys run away and you throw it and try to hit one of them. And if you're the thrower, you have to be stationary. So you can't run after or chase them. So played that. That was hilarious. Everybody else just watched. It was a beautiful day. The only thing with it is we use reusable water balloons, courtesy of Madison and those, I mean, those are great because you could just fill them up right away. But the way that it is, is it's kind of just like a, two circles with like a band around it. And the band is like magnetic. So it holds it together. But as soon as you grab it and try to throw it, they all just kind of opened. So in hindsight, if I could change one thing, we would just go back and use a classic uh, water balloon. So the games went well. I walked around filming, taking pictures. Everyone... Everyone was enjoying themselves, laughing. It was a success. I definitely want to take it to the next level next year, TBD, but maybe get a, a small team of, of guys to help me plan because, yeah, it's like after year one, you know, you can't do mini games the next year. you got to take it to the next level. So after the games, we all enjoyed a delicious barbecue lunch. I think we were all pretty hungry at that point. We got ready for our afternoon session. We closed the day with our small groups, and everyone was headed home by four. So that was really a quick overview of the weekend. And I want to take some time now to really just share about the different messages shared with us by pastor each. So Friday evening was biblical manhood and he taught primarily from Genesis, Genesis two and three. The main point was that biblical manhood is embracing the responsibility and call from God to lead, provide and protect lead, provide and protect. So he then broke down all three of those responsibilities. So the first point To lead, we lead through the word of God. And I ultimately treasure my loved ones by leading them into deeper fellowship with the living God. Paul's words in 1 Corinthians 11.1 speak to this. He says, imitate me just as I imitate Christ. So as a man, as a a husband, as a father, as a friend, and just a, a leader in my church and community, you know, I can't truly endeavor to lead 
people into deeper fellowship with the living God if I'm not abiding in his word and in prayer. And the purpose of studying God's word isn't primarily to grow in knowledge, but to grow in my love for Christ. And Jesus condemns the Pharisees for their diligent study of scripture, but failing to find life in God. He says, you study the scriptures diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life. These are the very scriptures that testify about me, yet you refuse to come to me and have life. And that's from John 5, verse 39 and 40. And think about it. like The Pharisees literally were face to face with the living God and they, they missed it. Yet they were the most knowledgeable people about the word of God, which testified about God's son, Jesus. It's crazy. So that's leading through the word of God. Then we provide by embracing God's call to create and cultivate. Many men are great at bringing home a paycheck, but they fail to truly provide for what their families need. We see in Genesis 3 that work was not a result of the sin of the sin curse. Adam was tasked by God to work prior to the fall. However, the fall distorts man's work. It says, Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat food from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken, for dust you are, and to dust you will return. That's verses 17 through 19. So not only are we called as men to provide for the physical needs of our loved ones, but also for their spiritual needs. And he shared from Ephesians 5, where Paul lays out some instructions for Christian households, telling husbands to love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle, but holy and blameless. In this same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. After all, no one ever hated their body, but they feed and care for their body just as Christ does the church. For we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. And that's a reference to Genesis 2.24. This is a profound mystery, but I am talking about Christ and the church. However, each of you must also love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. Seeing here kind of the twofold nature of providing. Yes, providing for those immediate physical needs and that incorporates our work and honoring God and glorifying him with the work that he's given us to do. But at a deeper level, there's also that, that spiritual leadership, making sure that we care about our wives' sanctification and that we're playing a role in that, making sure that we are discipling our, our children and, and disciplining them in a godly manner and um, raising them up in, in the fear of the Lord. And the third point was we protect as we're accountable to God. As we hold ourselves accountable to living in obedient fellowship with Christ, we are then able to protect our loved ones not only from physical threats, but spiritual threats as well. And what type of spiritual threats must we protect our loved ones from? Things like lies, deceit, gossip, slander, spiritual apathy, bitterness, unforgiveness, pride, selfishness, self-righteousness, on and on. And we need to be aware of and vigilant in our fight with spiritual warfare. Ephesians 6, right before Paul lays out the full armor of God, he writes, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. How do we protect our loved ones? Going back to that passage, with the full armor of God, the belt of truth, 
breastplate of righteousness, the gospel of peace, the shield of faith, helmet of salvation, the sword of the spirit, the word of God, making sure that we as men are going out in every day fully clothed in the armor of God so that we can in turn protect our loved ones. And there's a lot more covered in this first session. We spent some quality time in our small groups afterwards, but I think that's a good summary overall. The next session was Saturday morning, and that's where we talked about biblical community. And because I had to spend some time setting up our afternoon activities, I did miss the first portion of the session, so my notes aren't as abundant. But I will say it was a cool coincidence that on the morning that we were talking about biblical community, the Bible app's verse of the day was Proverbs 17, 17, which says, A friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for a time of adversity. And we talked about that in our small groups. But Pastor Reach laid out a good template for one-on-one discipleship with the four T's, and those are time, touch, truth, and tension. And essentially, he outlined that discipleship should be consistent, be based on God's word, not our own wisdom or advice, and it should address sin and offer accountability. That's the tension part right there. And I think the tension is it's probably the most difficult aspect of, of discipleship. Because, I mean, it takes it takes those first three, that time, that touch, and that truth to really build to that tension. You have to have trust with the person. There should be rapport. And you've got to be bold enough, yet gracious enough, to address that tension. And you also need to be humble enough to uh, share about your own struggles and, and sin and your own fallibility and need for, for God's grace. So we discussed in our groups what it means to have biblical community, and our answers included humility, authenticity, confession of sin, repentance, and accountability, among other things. One of the most powerful insights we came to was that the reality of being in the the body of Christ and the the responsibility we have to one another. I actually, as we were talking about our own experiences with accountability, you know, we got onto the topic of, times where maybe we've been meeting with someone and then we've gotten ghosted or they're just not consistent. So I even asked the question, like what responsibility do we have to others to, you know, chase after them, if you will, like what, how, what is the onus that is on us to pursue someone? And when is it time to maybe even cut ties? So, you know, the idea that we, and that I personally am only as spiritually strong as my brother who is struggling the most Paul writes at length on this in 1 Corinthians 12. In verse 26, he says, If one part or member suffers, all the parts suffer with it. And if one part is honored, all the parts are glad. So if my brother is suffering or struggling with sin, like that is my struggle as well, which I don't often enough think of it that way. I might say a prayer, and I might say, you know, I'm here to talk if you want. But as far as saying, like, no, like that is my struggle, and... Being willing to sacrifice to, to get that brother out of that spot, I have not. I need to grow in that area for sure. Another verse that illustrates what this should look like practically is Romans twelve fifteen, which tells us to rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Just that I'd always known this deep down, but until this weekend, I hadn't fully appreciated that reality, and I still have a ways to go. And it's it's definitely easier to rejoice with those who rejoice unless you yourself are going through a time of, of mourning or trial. I think it's more difficult to, to always mourn with those who are mourning because empathy can be challenging. If if someone loses 
you know, a parent. It's like, I have never experienced that. How much can I relate? But it doesn't mean I shouldn't try. You know, I, and I think about Job's friends and how they traveled from far away when they heard of his suffering and they, you know, spent like the first several days just sitting with him in silence. And it was really only when they started opening their mouths that they got in trouble. So God may call us to go after a brother or even rebuke them in love, but as men, our primary responsibility lies to our wives and children, so we can't let others come in the way of our care for them, but we can always intercede for others in prayer. And another thing we talked about is if if you are having to address sin uh, with a brother, like, what does Jesus say? He says, examine yourselves and take out the log in your own eye so that you can point out the speck in your brother's eye. That means... You need to approach with humility and a recognition of your own sinfulness. And then in Matthew 18, Jesus actually lays out the biblical response to handling conflict. So if someone does something sinful against you or someone else, you are called to address them in private. If they won't listen to you, then you can take another trusted uh, person of the faith Maybe just another friend could be an elder and go with them, just the two of you. If they still won't listen, then you're to take them, I believe, in front of the the leaders of that church. And if they still won't listen, like you're called to cast them out from among you because they will actually have more of a negative impact at that point on the body of believers. All right, so that was biblical community. Then we had our fun that day we had our lunch and we finished with biblical mission. So most of us who are followers of Christ are familiar with the great commission in Matthew 28, 18 through 20. Jesus declares all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the father and the son and the Holy spirit, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. In this session, we dove deeper into what it means to be on mission for Christ One of the pastor's initial remarks really resonated with me. He said, Christianity should be an adventure. So as someone who loves to travel, I love new experiences and learning new things about the world and myself. Like this really hits for me. I love adventure and my faith is the most important aspect of my life. So it follows that my faith should be an adventure. But what does this look like practically? And pastor each taught on a lesser known passage out of 2 Kings 7. I'd read it before, but I don't think I'd ever heard anyone teach on it. And so what's going on in this passage is that Samaria is under siege by the Arameans. Everyone in the city is starving. There's a famine going on. They're just waiting for death at this point, whether from starvation or from the enemy just coming in. And the enemy is just outside the walls. And at this point, the story shifts to four lepers at the city gate. And they're weighing their options. They're like, we could go into the city and we could just starve with everyone. We could stay where we're at and we could starve or we could risk it for the biscuit, go out to the enemy, surrender in hopes that they'll spare us. I mean, they might kill us, but then we're no worse off than we already are. So three pretty bleak options. But the story goes on to say at dusk, the lepers go out to the camp of the enemy and find that it has been deserted. Apparently the Lord caused the Arameans to hear the sound of a large army, horses and chariots. They thought, the Israelites had enlisted the help from some nearby armies. So the four lepers enter tent after tent, eating and drinking. They've been starving after all. But then they start taking the finest clothing, silver and gold, and they start hiding them. And Pastor Reach made a good point. He's like, 
these guys were saving up for a rainy day trying to buy time, but like they were lepers. Like how much time did they think they would have? Like what were they going to do with these things that they were hiding? Then after a while, their conscience kicks in and they say to each other, what we're doing is not right. This is a day of good news and we are keeping it to ourselves. If we wait until daylight, punishment will overtake us. Let's go at once and report this to the royal palace. So a couple points here. In their moment of triumph and deliverance, they initially fall prey to greed and self-preservation, but they're convicted of their sin and they end up repenting. They were blinded by their blessing and initially lost sight of their mission to go and share the good news that would deliver the people. And the point here is that our deliverance is not just for ourselves. Like, Who does God want us to be a blessing to by telling them the good news? And that's really all that witnessing and evangelism is. It's telling others what God has done for you and how that same deliverance and salvation is available to them. And the pastor made the point that the four lepers, they went from no, no motivation to self-motivation to others motivated. And the story goes on to show how the king and some of the offers initially doubt this good news, but they do the wise thing and they at least go check it out and they find out that it's true. So in our small groups, we talked about the mission we have been given from God to go and make disciples and also to honor God with the work that he's given us to do on a daily basis, not just at our jobs, but in our households and in our various social circles. We also talked about our motivation for our mission and what struggles we face. And for me, those, those motives include the idea that I will someday stand before a living God and give an account for my stewardship. You know, how did I spend my time here on earth, uh, my witness, my relationships, my resources, and that shouldn't fill me with fear, but rather reverence, I think. Just, I mean, that is a holy fear of God that I'm going to stand before him and give an account. But where I'm motivated is just the reverence side of it is being in awe of who God is and just the thought that he would even involve me in his plan for redemption. And the passion for who God is compels my witness to others as opposed to, you know, trying to psych myself up to go share the gospel with my neighbor just because I'm worried that God is going to you know, condemn me if I don't. I also stay motivated in my mission by just remaining in Christian community where I'll, I'll be inspired, encouraged, and held accountable by, by others. So even just the idea of going on this men's retreat, I didn't know what we would be talking about, but I'm so thankful to have this reminder. And me being a part of this weekend was just another step in the right direction in terms of being on mission for Christ. And then I'm motivated to be on mission to my immediate family. So leading my wife in our faith, praying for her and with her, being in the word with her, um, and then working with her to disciple our boys. There's so much more that I could say about the preaching messages in our small group times, but all in all, it was great. I was greatly challenged and encouraged in my faith by it. And so I'm, I'm very thankful for that time and that fellowship. So taking a step back even from from that, just looking at the retreat as a whole, some, something I was surprised by was just how many men I've never met at our church. Like I said, I've been going since it started. You know, we've got two services on a Sunday. We always go to the first one, so I don't probably see or interact with a lot of people that go to the second. And I got to help with the registration Friday night, and I was just pleasantly surprised by how many of the men that I'd never seen before. So I got to meet some new guys, befriend some new guys. Very thankful for that. Yeah, I was also just surprised by 
the level of authenticity and vulnerability in our small group time. Just very thankful for guys who came there hungry to to listen and to learn, but also to share. And that's where I find I experience the most growth. Um, I try to go into those times really sitting back because I want to soak in as much of the different perspectives and experiences from the other guys because that's how I grow. I don't, I mean, I grow some by just articulating my own beliefs and, and asking questions and hopefully those that fosters good discussion. But I really like to kind of sit back and just take it in. Um, and I was, I was glad that guy stepped up to the plate and, and were honest. And then I, if I could maybe improve one aspect about the retreat for next year, I would love for us to focus on intercessory prayer. Uh, we had those, those three small group times, and over the course of, of that time together, I feel like we got a good look, inside look at each of the guys. You know, we learned kind of the basic stuff of like what they do for a living, but we got to learn about their marriage, their kids. You know, there were single guys there as well who aren't, you know, they're not married. They don't have families yet, but they're men just like us. And they are trying to be biblical men who are on mission in a community. And that just kind of reminds me of even the things that I was wrestling with at that season in life. And just the prayers that I was praying over myself um, for marriage and, and for God's goodness. So I think because we had those we have three small group times. I think in those first two, we can really get to know each other well and we can kind of get a sense of the struggles we're going through. But I would love, and those sessions were an hour long. So let's say you've got six guys in a group. You have those first two sessions where you're really talking through and unpacking the messages. But if that third message is about actually interceding and praying for each other, then instead of talking about intercessory prayer, we could spend that third session actually doing it. Because I've I've been at men's groups where you have a group of guys around you and they're taking turns praying for you, specific things, bold things, prayers for deliverance, prayers for blessing, prayers for just a closer walk with God. And it is so powerful as a man to hear your fellow brothers pray over you and have their put their hands on you and just standing in the gap for you. That's what intercession is. That's something I would love to see us emphasize going into next year because I, it was great having those times of discussion and we always close them in prayer, but usually it was like one person praying and I can't think of anything that would have fired me up and sent me off leaving that retreat than to have, you know, five or six of my brothers really just powerfully intercede. So if you've got an hour, you've got six or seven guys, that's about 10 minutes per guy. It's not a crazy amount of time, uh, but I think it's a powerful, a powerful time. So that'd be the one thing that I will hope and pray that we can do next year. So that was the retreat, outro and action steps. I think this is just a reminder for me, you know, to get into community. You know, like I said, I met a lot of guys there that I hadn't before. There were also a lot of my friends and guys that I know at my church that weren't there. And I had conversations with a handful of them early on, inviting them to to come and participate. Even a couple of weeks out, I was still asking a couple guys, not hounding them, but you know that's accountability. I'm, you know, we all have excuses, we all have distractions and things that we let let get in the way of more important things. And granted, some guys had legitimate reasons why they weren't there, and I totally acknowledge that. 
but other guys just didn't didn't show up and they missed out and like that's honest so my encouragement to to you listener and to you know guys in general is get into community you can't have too much you can't be a part of everything i get that but a weekend investment in your spiritual walk in your spiritual community like what better way could you use your time and I know the vast majority of guys that were there, they went or they went home, they returned to their homes refreshed, recharged, able to show up as better versions, as husbands, as fathers, as men. I know I did. So my my other uh, encouragement to you is that if there's, you know, if there, yeah, if there are men and women's retreats or conferences at your church or in the nearby area, like do your research and just sign up. Don't have any expectations of what, it's going to be or what God is going to do. Just go and be open. And then if there's nothing available at your church or in your area, start it yourself. Do what Madison and Mark did. I'm so thankful that they just took that step of faith because, because two guys took a step of faith, like 70 guys had an amazing weekend. Like that's crazy. You never know what God will do. with just that first step of faith. So yeah, if you want to start something, find another person or two that are passionate about this and are committed to helping and then yeah just approach the powers that be and pitch your idea and yeah a lot of prayer Uh, i'm so thankful that in all of our planning meetings prayer was the primary focus because you know many are the plans in a man's heart but the lord's will prevails and the the weekend was amazing not because we planned an amazing weekend is because we were very prayerful and we trusted God to give us the wisdom on what to do and to stir the hearts of the men that should be there and then to bring his presence and into that place and minister to us. And, and he did, and he was so faithful. So I'm thankful for that. That's all I have to say about that. Thank you for listening. Again, I have been your host, Ryan. You've been listening to the Uncommon Podcast. Go out, get some community, and we'll see you on the next one. Thank you for listening to The Uncommon Podcast. If you have benefited from our show, I would ask you to follow, rate, and review, and share our show. And be sure to check out our website at theuncommon.com, where you can learn more about our mission, sign up for one of our live experiences, and take advantage of many resources that will empower you on your uncommon journey.